There is a mess that needs to be addressed, not just of, hey, there it is, but to actually label it and put an address on it. That mess is right here. Here's the address. It's me. This mess, it's not on the outside. It's actually on the inside of us. And this inner mess comes out, though, doesn't it? The ugly comes out when someone disagrees with us on Facebook. The ugly comes out when maybe our spouse says something and it triggers us. Or maybe the ugly comes out when one of our kids does the same thing over and over and over again. Maybe it comes out at work and it's something slipped. It's just the mess will absolutely come out. It comes out when no one's looking and we do that thing again just to feel good. Don't you just want to feel good sometimes? Maybe it is a substance. Maybe it's something sexual. Maybe it's just Oreos. Man, I love Oreos. It's so funny, you know, we have these, these different eating contests, pie eating contests and hot dog eating contests and all those different things. I always tell myself, you know, <clears throat> I don't need the motivation of a trophy to eat like that. Just, just get me in one of my sad spots or one, a moment of disappointment in my life, a season of some darkness. How oh, will I eat anybody? No problem, right? This is what we do. See, Jesus died for all of you, including the inner man, the inner woman inside of you. Think about that, church. I sometimes imagine myself, what I would be experiencing if I was at the foot of the cross. If I'm seeing this thing happen, I would not just be thinking about outward stuff. I'd be thinking about some inward stuff, too. I would be picturing this whole thing that's impactful on the outside, inside, and all in between. The inner man Jesus died for and rose for. And there is a way for us to be free and live new. The way starts with admitting and accepting that you were created emotional. God created you emotional, and we use it in negative context, which is not a good thing. God made us physical. God made us emotional, right? God made us mental. God made us this way. And these emotions are a part of our life. It's a part of our inner person, and God wants to do something with that. Secondly, we learned that the majority of us, who we are, is actually below the surface. I use the image in Peter Cesaro in his book, The Emotionally Healthy Spirituality or Emotionally Healthy Church, talks about this idea of like one-tenth of an iceberg is above the water where you can see it. Nine-tenths is below the water. You can't even see it. Here we have millimeter-thick skin, right? So thin. The majority of us are underneath the surface. And yet, why would we live our lives and spend our attention on what people are saying on the outside? right? Billion dollar industry, creams and lotions and pretty things on the outside, right? The clothing industry, all this whole deal. We spend all that for the millimeters people can see on the outside, and we've got an iceberg underneath us that needs tending, needs God's transformation and help for and hope for, and that's why we're talking about this. And the next step today is breaking the power of the past. Breaking the power of the past. Let's Take the next step together, church. This is tough stuff we've talked about. I know it's tough, but it's good for you, okay? Now, for me, in my own journey, this is a harder step for me than even looking beneath the surface. Last week, we talked about that, right? That was a hard step, but for me, this is actually harder to look at the past, but not just to look at it, but to actually experience that, to feel that, to not feel so good about those things that happen. I don't like feeling good. I run from those things. You do too. It's almost like just this 
the stark opposite of what you and I do when you look at the ugly in the past. We want to run from it as far as we can. We want to fill our time and our minds and our everything else and stuff. We don't got to think about it or feel it. And yet, what did Jesus do? He embraced the ugly. If I was at the foot of the cross, I wouldn't be thinking pretty. I would see Jesus embrace the ugly and the mess of our past and the inner man, the inner woman that's inside of us, and he embraces it. He doesn't run from it. He embraces it, and this is the path for us to consider breaking the power of the past, to look beneath and to break that power, okay? I am asking you to walk that road. I'm asking you to walk that road. This is based on Jesus did. Don't blame me. Blame Jesus. I'm asking you to do it too, okay? Why should we do this, church? Why am I asking you to look below your... Um, scan, look a little deeper at the iceberg underneath. Because your past, I'm going to talk a little about this, absolutely affects and influences your ability in the present to love God and others. What happened 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 30 years ago, what happened last year, those things that have happened in the past are affecting your ability to love him and love others better. And emotionally and spiritually healthy people understand that. The mature ones are able to say, yeah, these things happened to me, and this is how it's affected my ability now to love him and to love each other. I want you to let that statement just soak in. Spiritually and emotionally healthy people understand how their past affects their present ability to love Jesus and others. Church, this is the reason why we've got to look at this. Because it's affecting our love for him and the love for that person in your life that you love or you care about. A spouse, a child, a friend, a coworker, a friend in church here. It's all a part of this, church. I want us today to um, read a common story through scripture. I'm sure you've heard spoken before, the, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. And I want us to read this, and I'm going to kind of give you just a quick angle on this, the way I look at this, and how this is pretty powerful. And I actually don't have it on the screen because it's kind of long. So uh, if you want to turn to John chapter 4, and verse 7, we're going to read a few verses here. And you can look on your phone or if you have your Bible with you. I just wanted to read this, and I'm going to give you something to think about in this interaction between Jesus and this woman. So him, he's out with his disciples. He stops for water kind of goes this out of about way, and he's at this well with this woman. Verse 7, John chapter 4 and verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus says to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman says to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. They don't like each other. Okay, this is a weird thing for them to be connecting. Um, in verse 10, Jesus says, listen, if you knew the gift of God... And who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. That's an awkward, weird response, okay? Verse 11, sir, the woman says, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock. Jesus answers, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever thinks the, drinks the water I give them will never thirst Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so she says, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and I won't have to keep coming here. And Jesus says, go call your husband and come back. Verse 17, I have no husband, she says. 
Jesus said back, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands. Ouch. And the man you now have is not your husband. Ouch. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, I, uh, she says, I, I can see that you're a prophet. Our answer is worship on this mountain. You Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. This is their disagreement on kind of this tribal group. Woman, Jesus says, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Time's coming when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they're the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and truth. She says, well, I know the Messiah, he's coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything. And Jesus says, hello, I am he. All right? Jesus meets this woman at this well. Okay? Has this moment. And he's engaging her, talking with her. Right? And what does Jesus do? What is having husbands? What does this matter? This is so out of place, church. You get this. He's having this interaction with this woman, right? Living water, life and truth right here. He has this interaction with this woman who worships a little differently than the Jewish people do. And he brings up the past. Boy, this is so out of place. I would say that for us, when we think about maybe church or we think about, you know, Christian culture maybe or we think about even talking about Jesus or talking about, you're probably not going to bring up your own past and you probably won't bring up somebody else's past, but Jesus brings up this woman's past. I'd say ouch at this moment, right? Jesus brings up the past. And she was honest, right? To a degree. I got a husband. Jesus goes deeper, you know? Here's the power of this, is that Jesus brings this up and he's looking at the past because it's true. Jesus sees it, right? He sees this thing happening. He brings it to the surface. Nobody's talking about your husbands. We don't talk about this at the well. I'm here for water and I go home. Why are we talking about this? But Jesus brings it up. It's embarrassing. Okay. I don't want to talk about this right now. <laughs> yeah, right. I have no husband. Don't we do that too? When Jesus tries to bring up some stuff in underneath us, right? From our past, oh, mom, we're good, right? And Jesus brings this up. So he brings up the past. But what he also does, he brings up the past connected to hope for the future. I'm not a negative person, right? Typically, I'm pretty positive. I'm like, well, why do we want to talk about bad things? And bad things happen in the past. I don't want to talk about those things that are negative. I don't want that to affect my attitude. I want to think about these things. But for Jesus, he brings up the past. He brings it to the fore- forefront of her mind again. She's thinking about it. And she, he connects that past, that embarrassment. Can you imagine stories of five husbands? Can you imagine that that's not the most exact great thing to talk about? Talk about at a party. I've had five. How many of you have? He brings it up, and he connects it to hope. So now she's thinking about the past and thinking about all those guys and thinking about what it is now and going to this, this well alone and what it's like. And Jesus says, one day forward, one day look ahead, one day what you're experiencing right now is going to be a little different 
because of living water that I provide. It's a little confusing, this living water thing, this truth thing. But we recognize that what Jesus is doing is he's bringing up the painful past. He's bringing up all this thing that's a part of her story, and he wants that to join a new story. He wants that to be a different future. See? So we bring up the past because Jesus does. And if Jesus is on that cross, and when he was on that cross, if I'm standing there, I'm thinking, man, what did Jesus do to get to this, right? Well, he didn't do anything. He's here because of my past. He's here because of all the pasts, plural. He's here because of what's going to be done and a part of our ugly past and our pain in the past. Jesus is actually, absolutely working on the past, tied to hope for the future. I'm with you. I don't like talking about negative things. And Lord, help me not to talk about negative things without hope for the future. See, we look in the past and we break the power of the past by connecting it to hope and change for tomorrow. And I am a hopeful guy. I'm a positive guy in that way. See, I want to look, up, look at the past and always hope for future healing. Let me illustrate this. This is the best way I think I can illustrate this. You've heard comments about baggage, you know, that we should leave our baggage, you know, when we come follow Jesus. Or we should leave our baggage as we become more mature in him. And so we oftentimes will tie leaving baggage and letting the past, forgetting the past and never talking about it. And we kind of tie that to maturity that, hey, we're good. I left the baggage. It's not with me anymore. I'm good. But that's not what Jesus does in the story. He's not just telling her to forget the husbands and forget what happened in the past. He's saying, hey, here's the past and here's the future. What he's saying is change the power of that to define you. Change the power of it. So let me illustrate it this way. So when you and I, when we go to the airport, we take our luggage, right? So, you know, you plan enough space in your car, right? Because I've got this and I've got two kids, so it's two 50-pound bags. It's not this puny, small thing, right? So imagine two 50-pound bags with me. I should have loaded them with 50 pounds. I'm dragging them around so you know how I feel. Anyway, oh, I don't have enough space. Do we got to rent a van to take all this stuff to the airport, right? Do I got enough space in my SUV to do this? Okay, so then I get to the airport. Then I got to plan, okay, we're going to park. Then I get on the bus. And then I got to make sure I got to forget anything. I got two car seats. I have all this luggage with us. And I'm worrying about that and getting that together, right? I already had to start thinking about this on the flight that I booked. Do I have to pay for all this? It's per bag. It's just the more stuff I got to pay for. And then I get to the airport. And I'm like, okay, now I got to get to the line. Now you know what it's like. You're waiting in line in two, with two 50-pound bags and you move by inches, right, through this line. I'm like, man, really? I just got this going. Now I got to stop, pick, pick it up again. This whole thing happens. And you get to the check-in agent. And they're like these angry people that want to get you for some reason for one pound over, right? We got this whole thing going on. They want to charge you all these different things. And, and then that moment of truth when you put it on the thing, you're like, is it 49 pounds or is it 50, right? This whole deal. We have been at the airport where it's over. And I will take stuff out of that suitcase and put it in the car seat cover. I did do that. Yeah the car seat cover, stuff our clothes in there. So, because that's a free bag, you know what I'm saying? Anyway, so then we get in, okay, we're awesome. So, but I still got my carry-on. So we go to the um, TSA people, and they're the nicest people on the planet, I've found. Anyway, you go through there, right? You go through their whole deal, and then take your bag, take your laptop out, and I've learned not to travel with a laptop anymore because it's just another hassle. And then you put it through there, and you're kind of wondering, is this thing going to come along? Are they, are they going to stop me? And I have been searched at the airport. It's not nice. It's not a nice thing, 
They tell you to do things in the airport in front of everybody. Anyway, this whole thing happens, right? And then we get on the plane, and my son's paying attention to things, and he'll see the guy come up to the plane with the little train with all the bags. He'll say, Dad, are they going to put our, our, our bag on the, on the plane? I'll say, I'm sure they are, sure. He's like, are you sure? Actually, I don't know. If I, I don't know. Things happen all the time. I don't see my bag. What's happening right now, okay? Then we get off the plane. You guys get this. We get there. Now we got to get our bag. We're waiting for the bag. This whole thing happens because of our luggage, right? This whole thing happens because of our baggage. And if I just left that, it sure would be so much easier in ways. But that's what it is like with our luggage and our baggage and our past in life. It's not the actual bag. It's fine, right? It's, man, how carrying that around changes our life. My experience going to the airport and traveling, this is like the worst part for me is the baggage because all that I got to do with it, right? Think about that, church. It's the power of the past. You can leave it alone all you want. Have you ever left your bag at an airport? You freak out. Oh, my gosh. Did somebody take it? Oh, my goodness. And they look through it. Oh, my goodness. I got to go back to the airport. If you ever travel internationally, if you don't have your bag for like three days, it's like the worst thing ever. And it's international, so there's no laws, right? So it's crazy, right? All this about not having. Man, it's the power of this luggage, of this baggage, this past that actually affects my life. Okay, um, Dan and Jerry, if you can hand these out for me. These are some examples of what your past and the things that have happened in your life, how it can actually change and define your life. When I go to the airport, it's all about the baggage. I'm telling you, it's for me, that's the, the pain in my neck, okay? Here's some examples on how some things may have happened in your family growing up that may have affected your present ability to love God and love others. So how does the past affect us? First, first People in our past are affecting our present right now. The people around you, family, mom and dad, brother, sister, right? That uncle, that neighbor, that school bully, okay? Right? All these people in your life, people from the past are affecting your present ability to be in that relationship with that person, to love God, to be a healthy member of this church, right? And here are some ways, your family of origin, people. Well, how was it in your family growing up with money? Some of us are savers, some of us are spenders. Uh, there's a reason that. We didn't just pick that up. There's probably something going on that we grew up with that influenced how we spend money. There are studies on generations. You say the generation of the world, world, world War I and World War II people, Hey, listen, they were raised in a different environment. Money was a very scarce thing, so it affects them now. Studies show that people raised in the next generation are a little bit different, and the next generation are a little bit different. And if you talk to millennials, um, maybe under the age of, I don't know what the cutoff is, maybe let's say 25, I don't know. Their view on money is different, okay? Look at some of these topics. I just gave this to you to kind of look at. Relationships, number seven. Don't trust people. My family, we didn't trust anybody. Of course I'm not going to trust somebody. That's a part of my life, my growing up. Duty to family and culture comes before anything. And these are from Peter Cesare's book, The Emotionally Healthy, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Think about this as you read some of these things. Success is getting into the best schools, making lots of money, right? For some of you, it wasn't that, that that wasn't there. 
But these things all affect us. Listen, uh, the people in our life from our past affect us now. But it's not all negative. It's positive too. My dad was a super hard worker. One of the hardest working men I ever know. Made me tired just watching him. Okay? That's a part of me. Right? I do things for myself. Why did you do that? I'm like, I don't know. It's like part of what I do. I just work. I do stuff, right? This is, that's a part of this. That's a really great quality that I have if I do say so myself. I like to work hard. Well, that came from somewhere. There's positive things in our life, you know. Maybe you have some really positive things about money that you're so good with money. That's awesome. Well, one reason why you may be good about money is because these awesome things your parents uh, and your family around you had. How about the um, events that happened in your life? Think about when your dad or mom lost their job. What was that like? See, what about when this traumatic thing happened? See, that was a part of forming you and shaping you. And this is kind of the way I say it is what your outside was shaped how your inside is. It's this principle that's true. I mean, it is so true, folks. What has happened in the past, right, that absolutely affect, affects what your present is, what's on the inside of you, church. Events that happen in the environment you came from. Hey, you know, in our house, we just have this rule, we, we never yelled. Well, that probably influenced you in some way, okay? Well, you know, in the environment that I was in, you know, we came from a really small school. Everybody knew everybody's first name, and everybody knew everybody's dad and uncle and mom and grandpa. And all. We were in a small school, and then... Well, you know, it's a little different when you go to college and there's a shock. There's 35,000 students on this campus, right? Why am I scared? Why am I fearful? Well, listen, you're used to one thing and it shaped your inside. And then something totally different happened and it comes out, church. See? Okay. I'll just hand that out to you for you to kind of look at and consider. We're going to have some prayer time at the end of service today. I promised we'll get done a little early here to do that, okay? Boy, sin has affected every single one of these areas, okay? So because of all this being true, sin has affected everyone in these areas, church. And so we need the transformation power of God to help us with this, to break the power of how this luggage will affect my life. It defines me. It makes decisions for me. It comes out of me. And I am vigilant in my life to, to break the power of the past. I want it better for my kids. I want it better for the church I lead. I want it better for my friends. I want it better, church. I want what God is hoping for. This is what discipleship really comes down to. It's the very heart of spirituality and discipleship in the family of God. Breaking free from the destructive sinful patterns of our past to live the life of love, God intends, church, this is just to help you live a life of love. We know the greatest commandment is to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, to love each other, you know, as ourselves kind of thing. And listen, that's so hard to do, and it's especially hard to do with the patterns of the past as they determine our decisions in the present, okay? There's a um, practical things, some practical things that you can do to break this power, to grasp what Jesus has for you. Again, I don't like talking about the past, but I want to always, when I talk about that, connect it to the future and the hope through Jesus. I think about how the, the things that happened in the Samaritan woman's life could have weighed her down, and Jesus left her thinking, how? This is pretty crazy and amazing. You know what she does after this experience? She goes to her town, and she tells everybody about Jesus. That reaction and response shows how powerful him in our lives can be. 
after this encounter where he brings up her husband and her failure and talks about hope and healing and a future, she goes back and she tells everybody, you know what she says in John 4, 42? I know because I've heard from myself and I know that he's the Christ. She was just talking about Jesus coming, the Messiah coming. And now all of a sudden she goes, one of my favorite verses of all time, John 4, 42. Listen, I've heard for myself and I know he is the Christ. Church, when you dig up the past and look at it with his hope and his healing, church, It'll set your heart on fire. You'll want to tell people about him because of what he's done in your life. Now, how do you do this? There's a few things you can do. I'm going to tell a quick story. And then um, we're going to have some response time tonight. Well, how do you do this? Well, first of all, it's just to understand your past. I, I, it took me years to kind of get to this point of like, okay, well, how does being raised by for me, two immigrants that came to this country, very poor. You know, we had this and this and this. They had their baggage they brought. Literal, <laughs> no, not literal, more, more spirit, um, uh, emotional maybe, their upbringing, those type things you can't see. How, how did this affect and form and shape me? I could not answer that question to you when I became a Christian and began to know him. I couldn't answer that for you seven years after of following him and doing so many amazing things for him. But God put me on this path to begin to uncover some of the stuff. And I'm telling you, it took years. What was it like being raised in this environment? What was it like with this going on? And what was it like with the, some of the emotional problems that I struggle with, right? Where did that come from? What's it like? Counseling helped me, and that's a part of it. I think prayer time helped me a lot, but it's just understanding your past, and I know some of you don't even want to go there. Well, you'll never understand what you don't go beneath and look at, right? And then secondly, just invite God's insight. I'm telling you, I've prayed so many prayers. God, why am I filling the blank? Why am I so, so short-tempered? It's not just that I am. Why, God? This is me, God, okay? This is the address right here, my social security number. That's my address. Why is this right here so impatient? Why, why is this right here work so hard? See? I've learned part of this, again, like I said, when I saw my dad do. This is part of who I am. God, why? I want to invite God's insight. And so tonight, when we pray and we have some response time, this is a holy moment, church. This is a moment for you to say, God, why? God, why am I so awesome? Tell me, right? Look at some of these areas to go below, below the surface and look at. And then this third one is so important. I'm telling you, don't even go to your past if you don't want to connect it to hope and future. Don't even do it. It's not worth it. It's too painful. But if you do it, boy, connect it to God's new way of living for you. Being a patient person is a very new way of living to me. Maybe not for you. Okay, maybe that's just part of how you are. Not me. Being a kind person is hard for me. It's a new way. I told you a couple weeks ago about a survey that was done, an assessment where you have a friend of yours fill out an assessment, and one of the questions was, how sensitive are you to others and the needs of others? And I scored really, he scored me really low, and I was so offended by that. Then I realized I have a whole new way that God wants me to live, and I want to be on that path, and I want to be aggressive on that. God, what's your new way? 
what's, what's my new address, God? Okay, I'm impatient. You want me to be patient. Well, I'm going to work towards that, God. God, what's your new way? Teach me and show me. How do I be a loving husband and a loving dad? God, how do I do these things to seek his way? And I'm telling you, God, to help you. He'll send people to help you. He'll send a community. I believe our church, our long, my long-term dream for our church is that we will be able to say that we've been a part of God transforming lives, uncovering some stuff, and then also building a future for people. That we would say that we helped people see God's way and how great it is, right? I'm going to have the worship team go ahead and come on back and the website at emotionallyhealthy.org, there's an assessment you can take to kind of look within yourself. It's hard. Nobody comes to me and says, man, I'm so glad I took that. This is the happiest thing, I've, happiest I've ever been in my life. It's more like, I think that was wrong. Something's wrong with the assessment. See, that's what we do, right? I'll tell you a quick story and then we'll <clears throat> have some response time. As I began to unlo- uh, just kind of un- uh, unearth these things in my life and uncover these things in my life, I realized some painful things have happened and the specifics of what that is doesn't matter. But I want to tell you this point. There was a time I think I was in my room and probably getting ready and kind of been on this journey for a lot of years and it just kind of hit me. This I just felt like God put this in my heart and related to these painful things that have happened. I just This, this popped into my heart. I remember it was just for a little while. Some of us don't want to even bring up the past because it's just hurt so much. And that's for sure happened. But God, this thing I've been dealing with, God, just drop that in my heart. Just remember, Nels, it was just for a little while. I got you through, okay? That, that's, that's done and over with. It, it, it's, remember, it was just for a little while, and I just teared up in this moment. So it's just like God healing that part of me and dealing with the power of the past on my present in this thing. It's God saying, hey, just remember, it was just for a little while that had an end date on it. And here I am years later. And I don't want this power to define my life anymore of what's happened in the past. And I want you to just hear maybe today, if you would just be open a little bit to hear God and maybe let God speak through me to you tonight. Whatever it was that happened, it's so painful. It's, gosh, it has defined your life maybe. It's made how you live your life because of this thing. Just remember it was just for a little while. And the power, the impact of that that's happening now, God can change.